You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get to this week's interview, I want to take some time out and thank our sponsor, MailChimp. With over 7 million users, MailChimp is the premier online email marketing solution for your small business. You can manage your contacts, you can send emails, and you can track your results. It also works with a lot of other services like SurveyMonkey and FreshBooks, basically services that you would need for any sort of small business. Sign up today for a free account at MailChimp.com. Our 50th interview contest is still going on. All you have to do is leave us a review on either iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and you'll be entered into the drawing for a $50 Amazon.com gift card. For more details, go to revisionpath.com and click the orange banner at the top of the page. Don't forget that you have to send us your iTunes or Stitcher Radio name to verify your entry. We're also looking for guest bloggers for our blog. So far, we've had some really great posts uh, this month and the month before that, and we sort of want to keep that momentum going, so... Send us your pitches. Go to revisionpath.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click on Write for Us. This week I talked with Martin McNeese, a creative director in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the founder of Technique One. Here we go. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, Martin McNeese, I'm one of the founders of a boutique interactive agency in Charlotte, North Carolina, named Technique One. Uh, been in business for about 15 years this past August and have worked with a wide array of clients, done quite a different types of projects over the years. And uh, I like to bill us as, you know, a small agency that does really big things. 15 years, man. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. It's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of lessons learned along the way. So yeah, we made it past all of those marks those make it or fail marks that you know a lot of the folks say about business and whatnot so uh just been very very i don't know what you want to call it lucky blessed fortunate whatever adjective you want to attach to it but yeah we've uh <laughs> we've been very very lucky to, to be around this this long and still doing work so what's been the secret to your success and, and longevity I would say the number one thing is relationships client relationships partner relationships vendor relationships Man, just making sure we take care of the folks we do work for and the folks that work with us. You know, we like to shoot straight from the hip, straight down the middle, tell you if something's going to work, if it's not going to work, if it's a dumb idea, if it's an awesome idea, how we can make it better. You know, we just just pride ourselves on what you see is what you get. Ain't no bait and switch. Just folks knowing that you're going to get our best every time you engage us. So I think that's that's one of the reasons that uh we've been able to sustain for this long. So, How do you find clients and things like that? I know that we have a lot of design and tech entrepreneurs that are listening. Right. What's sort of been your, I guess, secret, I guess to say, with finding clients, sort of nurturing those relationships? Because these aren't things which, I guess, for designers that have went to an art school are not really taught, you know, sort of the business side of right. design. Right. Well, I would say this, like I said earlier, relationships, relationships are paramount. Relationships are to me, relationships are the most important thing you can have regardless, whether regardless of any business or or what have you, having relationships and having a reputation for being forthcoming and being honest and just doing what you say you're going to do. 
There's no secret about that because, you know, if you have relationships and the, the money will follow. I'll tell you a funny story. I know when we first got started, one of our mentors, a guy that that was the CEO of an interact, a big interactive shop up in a suburb of Cleveland. We went up, talked to him and make a long story short. He told us, he said, when you get back to North Carolina, you have to get out and network. You have to let people know the business community has to know that you exist and what you offer. And he told us, he said, uh, you're going to have to go out and hit the pavement. You're going to have to tell folks what you do. Folks will have to know. And he was like, man, that could take upwards of 18 months to two years before this phone started ringing. And sure enough, man, it was it was tough to do that. But we got out and hit the networking circuit, going to uh, tech meetings, going to chamber events, whether they were beneficial or not. But at least we were accomplishing getting our name out there, handing out business cards, folks knowing what we do. And sure enough, about that 18th, 19th month, the phone just started to ring. Folks were like, hey, you know, we just started the company up. We need some web work done. I found your card. Somebody referred you. And that just kind of snowballed even up until now. Like I said, 100% of what we do is referrals. I mean, we don't look for any work. I mean, the, the phone wow. kind of rings like rings like clockwork. Some may say that's good. Some may say that's bad to not actively do business development, but it just kind of caught us, not necessarily by surprise, but it, that's kind of where we landed. It just, you know, just in, in the midst of being tied up with work and meeting, trying to chase deadlines and, and what whatnot, the phone just mm-hmm. continues to ring to, you know, with new opportunities. So. so tell me a little bit more about this networking. You say you went to, to events and just talked with people. What are some other things that you did that sort of fall within the networking umbrella? Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, industry events. So say like, you you know, you go to AIGA meetings. I mean, you never know who you might meet there. You never, you know, you never know if there's an opportunity to partner up with other folks, with other companies, going to civic events. Like, for example, I went to a, uh, the the, uh, Goodwill Industries had a, their annual awards banquet here uh, two years ago. And I, I went at the invite of a friend of mine and ended up sitting at a table and having a conversation uh, with a guy of a research institute here in the area. Just small talk, asked what I did. I asked what he did. And, you know, he kind of shared some information and asked, you know, who would I work with and how long we've been around and whatnot. And lo and behold, hey, the guy gives me a call about three or four months later and saying, hey, the research institute is looking to redevelop its entire web presence. And I enjoyed the conversation with you and wanted to see if you'd be interested in having a conversation with us to see about possibly doing some work and that turned into a new client. So just even if you're going out with friends and you and you meet folks and they ask what you do, you tell them, give them a card and you just never know how that information or when that information might end up in somebody else's hand. Because like mm-hmm. I said, I, I, I get that all the time. Uh, we've gotten your information from someone or someone referred you. When can we talk? How can we understand if you're able to help us or not? So that has been a real successful thing for us in the past. Now, you've won a lot of awards over the years, and your work has been recognized by the Webby Awards, the Communicator Awards, and several others. So for designers that are out there, let's say that these are maybe like mid-career, mid-level designers. Right. How do you sort of qualify for these awards? What I mean to say is is if you've been in, in the industry for a few years and you know that you've done some good work, you've got some great sites under your belt, what's kind of the next step towards getting these these levels of recognition that you've gotten. It's just submission. I mean, if, if you believe in the work, if you believe in what you, you know, you believe in, you put a good product out, 
it tells a story or it accomplishes, it clearly accomplishes something. I would just say, we just submitted them. We just, you know, just took a chance and submitted some of the work we've done on the converse. I mean, there've been times that we've submitted work and it, it goes nowhere, but Mm -hmm. some of the work we've submitted or projects we've worked on have been submitted and been awarded those various awards. So now I would say it's probably not a good idea to design to win awards, but you know, if you're truly solving a problem or truly developing something that communicates or, or whatever, and then you believe in it, you believe it's 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 worth an award or it's, it should be noted, I'd say submit them and just, you know, just take your chances and see what happens. What's the last project that you worked on that you really, I guess, felt invigorated by? Because hmm. it sounds like you, you certainly have a lot of passion for the work that you're doing, but what's the last project you worked on that really sort of got you going? I would say we recently completed the redesign for the Harvey B. Gantt Center here in Charlotte. It's a, a African-American museum that's kind of dedicated to the, you know, experiences of African-Americans here in the, here in the States, mm-hmm. specifically here in the region. And we recently redesigned their site based on a refocus of, of, of what they're doing. And, and that project turned out really well because it's some really, really good content in the form of exhibits and events that they do. Some really good stuff came out of there that lent itself to some interesting design and some UI things. But yeah, that's probably the, one of the more recent projects that you know we really felt good about considering. So, All right. You graduated from Alabama State University in the 90s, and you have a degree in accounting and CIS. Now, why accounting? And how did you sort of end up taking that shift to doing design? Well, you know what? It's funny. I'll tell you exactly, because I get, I get asked that question all the time. <laughs> Going to college, I knew I wanted to be a, a entrepreneur. And my thinking was looking at what majors were offered in the college of business. I was like, well, it makes sense to me that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, what better thing to understand or have a grasp on than finances? So I was like, well, accounting or finance is probably the route I needed to go. And, you know, I kind of took that path and I said, you know what? Yeah, I went down the path of accounting and, and it was challenging to say the least, but, you know, I survived it and got a degree in accounting. And I looked at it like accounting teaches you to be very analytical. It teaches you to, to pay attention to detail. And, you know, again, around that time, around 95, 96, the Internet had just become this new medium, this new thing. And oh, the Internet, you can go online and whatnot. It was a hobby of mine. So I just said, well, you know what, with some of these elective classes, rather than take basket weaving, man, or some of that other stuff, I said, well, let me take a few of these CIS courses, 200, 300 level courses. And, you know, those the, the folks that were in those majors were looking at me like, what are you doing in here? You're an accounting major. Why are you in a COBOL class or why are you in a database class? And I was just, you know, just purely out of curiosity and, and took those classes and ended up doing pretty well in them. Yeah, got a degree in accounting and, and ended up working in banking right out of college. And again, a side hobby of mine, you know, changed jobs and ended up getting hired as a, de- a designer and just ultimately made a, a, a career switch. Not The degree in accounting wasn't a total waste because, like I said, it, an accounting person has to be able to critically think and, and understand details and pay attention to details. So in that regard, it has served me well over the years. So. so talk to me about the first sort of big job that you got right out of college. I know you've been doing 
Technique One, like you said, for 15 years. Mm-hmm. But between the time of graduating Alabama State University and then sort of starting your business, what was your first kind of big job out of college and what did you learn from it? Well, I was hired as a capital markets auditor right out of college. And basically, you know, I did audits around commodities trading, different kind of products that the bank that I worked for, they offered. It was a great job. Don't get me wrong. It was a great job, but and it paid very well. I just thought to myself, I was like, well, I don't want to do this for the next 30 years. An auditor has a sort of a not so good connotation to it. So, you know, and I experienced that firsthand, you know, in addition to doing the work, sometimes people would make doing your job a little challenging. And I was like, eh, I'm not 100% fulfilled with doing this, but the experience was great. Like I said, you know, got to work in a corporate environment, understanding how, you know, how to matriculate in the corporate environment, beefed up my communication skills, how to, you know, present and how to talk to folks, how to, again, going back to what I said earlier, how to build and foster relationships. I learned a lot of that stuff working in corporate America. And back then, you know, it was a shirt and a tie and a suit five days a week. So things have changed since then. But yeah, I mean, it, that was my first job out of college as an auditor in, in the banking industry. Did you always have the notion that you wanted to start your own business? I did. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And it just uh-huh. so happened that the whole internet web, how are people making websites? How do folks make publish these websites online? How does all that work? And that just ended up trying and it worked. And 15 years later, you're still doing it. So was creativity a big part of your childhood? Like, how did you sort of get that spark for for doing technology and design? Well, I would say design was not technology per se. Okay, man, I thought I wanted to be an artist growing up and I did. I, I was fascinated with trucks growing up like 18 wheels. I was always fascinated with those growing up and. I would draw those things, you know, taking family trips or uh, taking a weekend trip to grandma's and hanging on, looking out of the window and see these trucks go by. And I would always remember with the names of, of the companies on the side of them and what the logos look like. And as soon as I could get to some paper and a pencil, man, I would draw these trucks. So I, you know, I always had a, you know, kind of a sense of, hey, what logos were and didn't know it was called branding and, and what slogans and taglines were at the time, but just always took a interest to those sort of things. And I would doodle and make up logos for these fictitious companies and just always had an interest in, all right, that looks good. Why does it look good? Or I'm attracted to that. Why is that? And that, that's mm-hmm. kind of what led to a hobby that eventually became a, a, a second career. Okay. Who has offered you some of the most useful career advice? I still would have to go back to one of our early mentors and the conversation kind of changed our trajectory, if you will. I'll tell you the story. So when we first started Technique One, we had the pedal to the metal probably for the first six years. I mean, we worked tirelessly. The first two years, we still, my business partner, my former business partner and I, still had daytime jobs. We really didn't think that this would go anywhere. But, you know, again, just a side business, you know, we weren't making a whole lot of money. You know, like I said earlier, we were convinced that if you want to be a good company, if you want to be a good craftsperson, if you want to be a good designer, if you want to be a good developer, uh, whatever the case may be, you have to seek out those folks who are doing what you hope to do 
do your research and, you know, and ask them some questions. Ask them for a little bit of their time. Ask those folks questions of how they gain some success. And you try to figure, you know, try to mimic and try to figure out your own path to that success. And that's what we did. So we found the uh, interactive shop up in Cleveland, in the Cleveland area, mm-hmm. Cleveland, Ohio area. And these guys had taken this company from like $2 million to $18 million in probably three months. And then some of that was through acquisition, wow. whatever the case may be. But they were doing a lot of interesting work in that region. So we reached out to the CEO of this company. We'd read some articles on them and articles that said how this guy went in and turned around companies and, and, and made them successful. So we reached out to this guy and sent him an email and said, hey, you know, we read, you know, several articles on you. Dah, 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 dah. We're a small startup interactive shop down here in North Carolina. And we just wanted to see if we could either jump on a call or or meet with you to just ask some questions about how to be successful. And, you know, we sent it and didn't hear anything from the guy probably for four or five months. So mid-December, the guy emails us back and says, hey, sorry to take so long to get back with you, but just been really busy with work and travel and whatnot. And this was like on a, a Tuesday. And the guy said, hey, I have some availability at noon this Friday if you guys want to meet and talk. So he said, mm-hmm. so he was basically saying, Hey, if you can get to Cleveland by Friday, (laughs) I have an open door. I can sit in with you and we can have a conversation. So we were like, Mm -hmm. okay, fine. So we head up the interstate, drive to Cleveland through West Virginia, Virginia in snow. And we get to Cleveland and meet with the guy. And so we go in and I could tell that he was looking like, oh, wow, you know, two black guys. Hmm. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what kinds of questions you know they were going to ask. And and you know again, you know we went in there and introductions. And then he's like, "So, what do you guys want to talk about?" So you know we looked at each other. We we're like, "Okay, open up our notepads and say, oh, hey, we have a list of questions for you.'" And I could tell that he may have thought that we were going to be asking about, "Hey, what kind of software do you use, or how do you develop websites, and this and the other." Basic stuff. Basic basic. stuff. But, you know, we opened up. We said, hey, how do you manage your P&L? How do you structure your contracts? I mean, what do your service level agreements look like? How do you do business development? How do you determine what types of projects you take on? And the guy's eyes lit up. He was just like, wow, you know, you guys are asking some real substantive, some real, you know, substantive business questions. We're saying, like, how do you guys operate to make money to be profitable? how to code HTML and CSS. We figured all that stuff out. We want to know, yeah. you know, how to run a solid business and, and, and be profitable. I mean, he shared so much information with us that totally, I mean, we could almost walk on a cloud when we left this guy's office when he told us he brought in the founder of the company and they start to get into what their methodology was, what their approach was to design like what their approach was to storytelling and how they found talent, the kinds mm-hmm. of folks they looked for to work in their, their agency, how they built agency culture. I mean, just a ton of stuff. So we leave there with just notes on top of notes. And, you know, as I said earlier, one of the things, you know, that the guy that he told us was, was the whole networking thing. And he told us, he said, hey, when you guys get back to North Carolina, if you're going to provide a service to the area, the business community, they have to know what you do and they have to know that you exist. So, you know, you guys need to get pressed, you need to network, you need to get out in the community and share what it is you do, why 
you guys are different, what you could bring to the table that maybe some of the other companies around are not doing. And like I said, he told us, he said, that could take upwards of two years to, to gain any traction. And sure enough, it did. And, and kind of the rest is history. So I would say that that conversation we had in, in mid-December back with, that, with, with our mentor then, that was probably the single incident or experience that kind of, it shifted, it shifted our direction. It, it totally changed what we thought we were going to do and, and the approaches we thought we were going to take to try and be successful. And it, it was. I mean, that, that was a single event that kind of changed our path, if you will. Now, there, there was an interview that I did, you know, several months ago. It was with a South African designer. Her name is Label Hong Dechwene. And one of the things that she was mentioning with the work that she does, she has like a small design company called Laputi Design. Mm-hmm. And she was mentioning sort of this uh, almost like this mentorship program that she had where she was working with a larger design company. And they sort of, I guess, like took her in like as a mentee, like basically she was able to operate out of their building, right. use their resources, things like that. They would sort of funnel clients to her. Yep. And the only sort of, I guess, I don't know, uh feedback or things that she would get, you know, from them is just the good feeling from the larger company that they were really doing something to help out kind of the design community or I guess as a whole or help out a small business. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now you really don't see that very often. Like like sort of even the anecdote that you're mentioning where where you kind of made this road trip, you talked to the, you know these guys and they kind of gave you all this great advice and you were able to then take that and use it to to transform your business. I don't really see that now with a lot of businesses doing that, like larger firms doing that for smaller businesses. So what you end up having is a lot of these kind of small freelance shops. It might be one person. It might be maybe two or or three people or something like that. And they kind of keep operating at that same level. You know what I mean? I understand what you're saying. And I would say in, in our case, that was a big part of it because like I said, we reached out to, advertising agencies who may have not necessarily had a, a digital division or had digital talent in-house, and they formed a lot of that stuff out. And a lot of the big brand experience that we got early on with the company came by those means. We had worked with other agencies who may have had relationships and brought us in to help out on a project or having worked with some big brands in the past kind of gave us some street cred to go approach other big brands to work with. But, but I, I will say that, yeah, that, that part of it is very important, you know, and I, that was a big part of our early success is that we partnered up with larger agencies that had that kind of moxie that, you know, it was doing big brand work or other mm-hmm. companies, man, that, that were doing big brand work at the time. And that kind of, you know, gave us an opportunity to kind of cut our teeth on, Okay, yeah, yeah, we've done some work for Joe's Coffee Shop, but then what is it like to work with IBM or what is it like to work with the History Channel? What is it like to work mm-hmm. with PBS? I mean, we we've, we've gotten opportunities like that through partnering or or working with with other agencies. So that and sometimes that may be the only way you can get, you know, kind of big brand experience and through those kinds of things, but I will say that the flip side of that like, you know, like I like I said earlier when we went to talk to the guys in Cleveland is that, you know, like I said, they, I would assume that they probably thought we were going to come in there asking about, you know, well, what version of Photoshop do you use or what version of Illustrator are you using? And, you know, where do you think Flash is going to go? Again, we knew all that, but I think to get those opportunities on the flip side, I think you 
you know, should be knowledgeable as possible or at least have a command of your skill set and your talent and be able to bring ideas to the table to kind of be in the right place at the right time for when those opportunities do present themselves. And, you know, a lot of times we've worked with other freelancers or work with other folks where, you know, their skill set was just not there. That creates a a problem of itself. But one of the things that that I've kind of harped on is that make sure that we're prepared when those opportunities do come around. So I was just about to ask you that. I mean, you know, technique one is at this, at this vantage point, you have 15 years in the game. Are you kind of paying it forward in that same way? We are. We are. And like I said, I mean, there are times when people reach out to us and say, what can I do to get better? You know, read an old article about you guys and, you know, how did you get started and what your success, where did it come from or how you guys have been successful? And again, going back, you know, to that conversation we had with the guys in Cleveland is that at the end of that day, that was one of the things that we asked these guys. We said, wow, you know, you've opened your doors to us. You shared your trade secrets with us. And, you know, you've told us how you have been successful and how you have done all of what you've done. Why did you share this with us? Don't you think that we could take this and become your competitor or, we, you know, we can implement what you share with us and we become just as good of a company as you are. And, and the interesting thing that the guy that they shared, they said, hey, well, the difference is you guys are you and we, we, are we, you know, you can't, we're different companies. So at the end of the day, it, it's going to be on you to execute what we've said do. And if you do that, fine. If you don't, that's the kind of thing is that when you do, we, I don't have a problem with sharing what our, and it's really not a secret because I mean, you know, we asked and we were lucky enough, someone shared it with us. So when I get those kind of, you know, calls or have those conversations with people, I don't have a problem at all with sharing what we've learned over the years, the pitfalls that, that we've experienced, the mistakes we've made over the years and learned from them. And that was our whole goal is to try to eliminate as many mistakes as we started so we wouldn't have, you know, we could have as few setbacks as possible. And to pay it forward in that regard, I have no problem with doing it. I, I've done that with with a ton of folks to say, just on general principle, I wouldn't do X. I probably would do Y. And here's the reason I say that, because we had this same problem when we first got started and doing Y actually worked. So if that can save you some time, effort and money, I have no problem with sharing You know what we've done to be successful. OK, it never hurts, you know, to help out like like helping out really doesn't cost you anything. It makes me wonder why there aren't other agencies and companies that sort of do the same sort of thing. Right. It doesn't hurt you to help out the generation of designers that's coming up, you know, because if anything, that makes you look good because you're really sort of being a steward to the community. And then it helps out these people that are just starting out that may not get this information from any other type of source. They, you know, they won't learn it in school. They may not even get it through networking or right. anything like that. Right. So. I don't have any problem with that at all. Like I said, that's something that I personally believe in because, again, somebody, and not just those guys in Cleveland, but just along the way, there have been countless people whose paths we've crossed that have shared a nugget here or shared a nugget there or, or we've met to have coffee and they have shared some really good information on you know, how to be successful and how to be taken seriously as a company and kind of some of the design things and some of the industry specific things we need to do in some of the non-industry civic type 
things that we need to do to, you know, to be successful here in the local community or in the local region. How do you keep motivated and inspired with Technique One, with the work that you do? How do you sort of keep that spark going? Well, you know what, especially with the web and how fast it changes and how fast the technology changes, that in and of itself is part of the motivation to say, okay, you know, yeah, I'm a year older and the technology has changed. The challenge is, you know, can I relearn and retool and kind of, you know, jump in the lane of what best practices are in terms of design and technology? Do I still have what it takes to kind of keep up with where things are going? That's always been a, a motivational kind of deal for us. And then also, to your point earlier, it's always refreshing to start a new project, trying to understand how we may be able to help a client and the unknown. You know, we don't know what's going to happen along the way with this project, and we don't know what the results are going to be in the Mm -hmm. end. And then hopefully, once you get to the end, you have a new relationship formed. So those two things are, are, are kind of what keeps me motivated and you know keeps me excited to work every day. Well, most days, not all day. <laughs> uh, well, most of the days out of a year. That's kind of what, what keeps me motivated. I got you. So I want to talk about, I guess, the overarching term I'm sort of alluding to here is black business. You know, oh. you're, you're, you're a business owner, you're a black man, you've had your business now for 15 years. Are there particular challenges that you feel that you face as a black business owner with a design firm? Are there any, any particular that you can speak uh, to? Well, I'll tell you what, let me, I'll preface the answer to that question with this, and then, I, and then I'll, I'll get into some detail for you. Our goal has always been, we never wanted to rely on, or we never wanted to be labeled as a black design firm per se. We've always strived to say, we want to be a good design firm that just happened to be owned by some black people. Okay. That's kind of been our you know, whole thing. Yeah, we can't deny the fact that 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 the owners are black, but we've tried to not focus so much on, hey, do business with us because we're a black firm. We're saying, hey, do business with us because we're a good firm. We understand how to solve problems. We're full of ideas. And yeah, we just happen to be black. So um, I would say probably the biggest elephant in the room in that regard is, New business pitches, client meetings, discovery meetings, meeting clients face to face for the first time. Yeah, when you walk into the conference room and again, you're the only black people in there, you get a lot of looks. And that has been probably the biggest thing that has happened over the years. And, and that's subsided some because, you know, the, the world is, has just changed a whole lot since we got started. But I've actually had a situation where, again, got referred we came highly referred from uh, some folks and had some great conversations on the phone with, with a potential client. And the minute we show up and all the, the management team walks in to have this meeting, you could immediately see that the air was being sucked out of the room because they were looking like, wow, we didn't think that who was behind the company would be you guys. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not a big deal, but th- the fact remains, I mean, there's just not a lot of minorities in the advertising digital space. I mean, uh-huh. That's just a fact. Why that is, I don't know. Given so, I man, you kind of, you know, you kind of have to tuck that away and just, you know, again, like I said, just focus on being a great company. Mm-hmm. I've heard of a black design firm. Well, when I, when I say black design firms, these are design firms which are owned or operated by black people. But I've heard of, of design firms like that that won't even put their photos on their website. 
because they know that someone will look at that and I guess prejudge maybe the the quality of the business or the quality of the work just based off of the people that own or run the business. And that's true. And we have most certainly had that conversation internally about that. And, you know, and I look at it, I look at that sort of thing kind of like, you know, with anything else in life, rather than dealing theories and hypotheses, just deal with the reality of what's right in front of you. And if, and if you know that a certain element or something may be the deciding factor of you not even getting considered for work, if that means not showing a picture or, or whatever the case may be, if you feel that that's a good move or if it positions you better to try and get work, I don't have any objection to that. But, you know, like I said, in some instances, that's the reality of the situation. I mean, that considering that there are not a lot of black folks in the space, some may look at that and say that, you know, that approach has some merit. I don't 100 percent disagree with that, but. Like I said, I mean, I know for a fact, and then just speaking from our experiences, I know, you know, there have been times in the past where I know that we may have been looked at a little differently because we were black. But, you know, I try to overcome that. We've always tried to overcome that. Again, going back to one of my earlier comments is that build relationships with people, find something in common with folks convince them that you, know, you you are capable of doing the work and you do have ideas and, you know, you can help their businesses. And, you know, a lot of times I've found that over time that, you know, that stuff goes away. I mean, that companies want to know if you're affordable and if you can do good work for them. So, uh, yeah, some people will call that growth hacking, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I, even with my business, I've had that, that same kind of sort of internal debate on if I, if I should put my picture up or shouldn't I put my picture up? And, you know, eventually I just said, fuck it, I'll just go ahead and do it. And I don't think there was any sort of change, you know, in business or in clients for anything like that, because I think if you look at the work that I've done, and then even if you look at my background, like I'm black, there's no, you can't slice that any other way. So at the end of the day, it didn't really, for me, it didn't make a difference, but I can see where, and I definitely have heard where other people have have had to sort of make that decision or make that determination because, you know, just by proxy of being who they are, not even about their business or their work, that is sort of preventing them from really, I don't know, I guess, solidifying business or getting clients or things like that. But I want to sort of go a little bit further than that. And we discussed this a bit before we started doing this interview, kind of about, you know, diversity in the field and things like that. So for this particular interview, for people that are listening, Martin contacted me And we decided to kind of do this interview. And I told him that it is extremely rare, like very rare, that someone will just contact Revision Path out of the blue and say, hey, you know what? I would love to be interviewed. That's a rarity. Mostly we have to kind of hunt people down, convince them, do a little pep talk to get them to come and, you know, speak on the show. And this is not for everybody, you know, granted. But for the most part, it's harder than, than just asking. It's more than just asking. It's almost psychological in in nature where you really have to kind of big the person up to to make them want to do it and you really just said you know what i've done this work i think i have a good story i like to be interviewed and i said you know what that's great i've got an opening let's do it can we talk a little bit about i guess we know that in the industry that black designers and developers are not as visible just in terms of, of what you see in design media but i also feel that there's maybe 
a confidence aspect that comes with that where I know that, that, that I've done good work and I've worked in the industry for, you know, over 10 years, et cetera. But when it comes to really sort of talking about it and showcasing in a way where other people know, there's almost this hesitance, hesitancy or this, this reticence to, to really kind of put yourself out there. Right. Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, I think that I would say that that's kind of, and I'm not a PR person, but I think that that's kind of where I put a small PR hat on and just kind of inquired because like I said, I mean, just you know, reading a, a story you authored in a magazine and I you had never heard of Revision Path. And then once I kind of looked it up and then saw the, what you were doing, I was like, wow, this, this is interesting because I mean, I just, none of these folks that, that you've interviewed in the, in the past had I ever heard of. And I'm like, you know, this is kind of like a, again, another rock that had been turned over. And, and now there are some other folks out here that we share some of the same things with more than anything. I think the path that we took to get into the space is a little unorthodox. And like I said, call it fate, luck, blessing, whatever, however you want to characterize it. If it can be inspiration for somebody else, you know, I love to tell us, you know, love to tell our story and, and, and how we've been able to gain some level of success over the years. And if, if that means sharing, you know, our successes and failures with somebody, that's fine. And then, too, when you, when you talk about the the confidence part of it, like I said, I mean, just we've put in a lot of hours and put in a lot of time to try and be the best we can be. You know, been to a lot of conferences. Mm-hmm. I've read a ton of books, man, you know, just just scoured and worked with other great people. And then I think at a point, you know, like with anything else. You just become comfortable with your skill set and comfortable with what you do. And I always like to tell folks, you know, I ask a question. I say, well, you know, well, what separates an amateur from a professional? And my response is always the details. I mean, a, a, a professional understands the nuances and understands the detail of what they do as opposed to, you know, an amateur. And I just think we've always sought to understand the details more than just colors and more than just typefaces and more than just how something looks, but peel those layers back and try to understand the details. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, I've been to design conferences and presenters are up there talking. I'm like, what the hell are these people up here talking about? And I, I take <laughs> issue with what they're up here saying. But again, one of the sayings that, that my former business partner would always say is that, you know, you are who you say you are until proven otherwise. And that, and that's a true statement. You know, if somebody goes around and says, hey, I'm the best, well, how many people are going to refute the claim that they're making? I mean, they, they may think they're not the best, but who's going to stand up and audience say, hey, you're not the best. If that person believes that or if that company believes that, then who am I to tell them that they can't, you know, they can't think that about themselves? So all in all, I just say, you know, over the years, we've become very comfortable in what we do, comfortable in, you know, in, in the advice we give to clients and being around as long as we have, you know, we just kind of developed a, a comfortable place to say, hey, you know, we think this will work. We don't think that'll work. You probably don't want to take that approach. Hey, you do that, you're going to fail miserably. So that sort of thing. So where that comfort comes from, yeah, I know for us, it, you know, it just comes from understanding the details and having that experience from over time to be comfortable to say, hey, we may have a story to tell that may be interesting to some, boring to others. So, hmm if you weren't doing this, what do you think you would be doing? Would you be an accountant? I would not. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure of that. Now, now, no disrespect to any accountants or auditors that may stumble across this podcast, but uh, no, I mean, honestly, and I, I've, I've given this some thought, some thought, I probably would be a personal chef if I, I were not a graphic designer, web developer. I probably would be on a path to trying to be some professional private chef or celebrity or some rich CEO somewhere. That's kind of, uh, again, another hobby of mine that I have mm-hmm. yet to fully pursue. But yeah, man, I, I probably would be a private chef somewhere. Nice. When did you start, I guess, getting into to cooking and everything? I've always been fascinated with cooking, even from, you know, way back trying to, re- even even to today, trying to replicate some of the, so the, uh, stuff my mom used to cook. I'm originally from Mississippi and I like to I like to build that as, you know, that's the place where soul food was invented at. So just always been, you know, been interested in food. I'm a foodie. I eat for the experience and not for the sustenance. So just always have had a deep appreciation for good food. And mm-hmm. by consequence, you know, kind of like I did the whole internet thing, just curious about, well, you know, well, what makes food good? Uh, just kind of, you know, been to a lot of cooking classes, eating at some really great restaurants around the country, watched a lot of Food Network and just kind of figured out how to make, you know, quality food. So just a hobby of mine that that who knows, one day I may pursue it and, and totally get out of the, the Internet web space altogether. So, hey, that's yet to be seen. What's your signature dish? Man, I make the best bananas, fosters, donut bread pudding on the planet. Whoa. Yes. Bananas Fosters. Donut. Donut bread, bread pudding. Yes. That is downright diabetic. It, it, That's, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing, well, though. It, it, it actually is. And, and, you know, I have I've actually made it for a number of folks, and, and they appreciate it. I even have a, a friend of mine who's a professionally trained chef, and I actually made it for her. And... She actually bought the recipe from me. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I, I, now I'm not a baker. I don't profess to be a baker or a pastry chef or anything, but that was just one of the, hey, one of the things I was just experimenting with one Saturday afternoon and, and actually it turned out to be quite phenomenal and made some adjustments. And that's, it's a pretty killer dessert, man. Man. Wow. That sounds amazing though. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, to be honest with you, I have started thinking about, hey, what my exit is going to be because, you know, I don't want to be 60 years old still developing websites. I mean, I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. But at this point, I've actually been giving a lot of thought to finding other entrepreneurs or or agency owners to kind of partner with to to build a company, kind of build something bigger than us. When the time comes to get out or if we decide to do something else, then, you know, we certainly have that option. I started out not wanting to be a big agency. Not I didn't want to get into the business of managing people. I've always had a deep love for the work and being able to interact with the clients and get into the details and figure out the solutions to problems. So I've done that since day one. But, you know, again, as a business business life cycle, you have to think about, OK, as you ask, what's going to happen down the road? And, and a lot of times, uh, you know, at some point you got to start thinking about exit. And, and, and that certainly has been something that's been in the back of my mind. So who knows? Hey, hopefully experience some growth and, and kind of see where it goes from there. Sounds good. Where can our audience find you online? They can find me online. I, my Twitter handle is at Martin, that guy. 
Okay. I'm there. The agency website is technique1.com. That's uh, T-E-C-H-N-I-K-O-N-E.com. We're gearing up to do a redesign in the next quarter. So some of the older work we've done and some of the, you know, some of the clients we've had, the players are working with in the past uh, is out there. And yeah, so that's kind of where I am online. I, I maintain a Facebook page, but I don't do a whole lot out there. I just kind of, hey, lurk in the shadows and laugh at the stuff that other folks post out there. But <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where I can be found on, online. Sounds good. Martin McNeese, thanks again so much for, for reaching out and sharing your story and and talking with us and just, you know, discussing how you built your business and, and the importance of really networking and getting out there. I think that is something that people that are listening, whether they're students or they're entrepreneurs, will really sort of take to heart and start to do. So, again, thank you so much for talking with us. My pleasure. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Martin McNeese and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, MailChimp, and thank them as well. MailChimp sends over 10 billion emails each month, and they're great for businesses large and small. Sign up today for a free account at MailChimp.com. What did you think of this interview? Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and leave us a review for your chance to win a $50 Amazon.com gift card. Details are at revisionpath.com. Just click on the orange banner at the top of the page. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate. Drop a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level and show your ongoing support. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.